This podcast is sponsored by I2C, providing innovative banking and payments, quickly get to market and optimize profitability with I2C's best-in-class credit, debit, prepaid, and core banking solutions. Go to www.i2cinc.com. That's www.i2cinc.com to learn more. Today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Our mission on pays is to be ubiquitous both on the consumer side, and the way that translates means that any consumer that has a card, debit or credit, issued by a US-based financial institution should be able to use it through pays. And any merchant that accepts those products should be able to accept them through pays. And so that's kind of our, our mission. That's our, that's our mandate. And we take that very seriously. And we build all the technology. Uh, we also build all the economics and all the constructs around delivering on that, that position, you know, that, that vision of ubiquity. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast, where we explore the future of financial services with an eye towards technology, new models, innovation, and changing consumer expectations. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. And when early warning launched Zelle in 2017, it seemed a very big mountain to climb. For a bank-backed P2P payments app to replace or at least compete with Venmo seemed unbelievable. Venmo was clearly one of the most popular consumer fintech apps ever. But if you look at the growth today, Zelle slowly but surely surpassed PayPal's favorite brand. In early 2023, Zelle had 120 million customers with 69 million monthly unique Zelle users. Venmo, which launched more than a decade ago, had 90 million active accounts, 60 million active monthly. It took time, but it shows the massive power of bank distribution. Early Warning and its banking partners are back now with a new digital wallet called Pays. Of course, there are more popular digital wallets on the market. Question begs, will the power of bank distribution propel Pays growth in the market the same way it did with Zelle? So to answer this question, joining me on the show is Early Warning's head of Pays, James Anderson. We discuss everything about Pays, from its conception to functionality, from its features to its distribution. James discusses whether the world needs another digital wallet and whether consumers will be open to using a service like this offered from their bank. What will it take to get Pays integrated into Merchant Checkout? It's all about creating supply and demand in a two-sided marketplace, and James is on it. Here's my conversation with Pays' James Anderson. Great. So who are you and what do you do? Uh, I'm James Anderson. I am Managing Director of Pays at Early Warning. Uh, I'm based in New York City, and it's great to be here, Zach. Nice to meet you. Well, welcome. I'm happy to be talking as well. So so let's talk about Pays. What is Pays from Early Warning? Yeah, so Pays is a new initiative. A lot of people, a lot of you listeners probably know a little bit about Early Warning. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Early Warning before I jump into what is Pays. So Early Warning is uh, a consortium owned by seven of the, the larger U.S. banks. And in terms of consumer-facing applications, the pro- one people have probably heard of is Zelle. So Zelle is our P2P offering, which has been tremendously successful. Uh, that's been around for about five or six years. Pays is much newer. We uh, started work on it uh, last year, and uh, I have the privilege of running it. And really what we're trying to do with Pays is fix a set of longstanding problems for consumers and merchants around online payments and checkout. Uh, it's kind of surprising that after 25 years of people play, paying online uh, and buying stuff, there are still challenges that people have paying for it. 
but it's true. So uh, we want to fix those and deliver a delightful experience to consumers, deliver more value to merchants, and uh, just help the ecosystem of online commerce work better. Awesome. I'd like to start a conversation, um, maybe going back in time a little bit about um, the Genesis story. Uh, what were you seeing in online commerce that uh, that encouraged you guys to to launch this? Like, take us back into like, I guess the the why. Yeah. So I think the why has a couple of dimensions to it. Um, you know, being a consortium owned by a set of financial institutions, the why is it's multifaceted. So I mean, there's it's not just a you know, we're not like a, a company that just gets up in the morning and says, oh, there's a hill over there, we're going to take it. Uh, our process is is more involves, uh, you know, the owner banks uh, and some pretty Their rich stakeholders buyers. and customers as well. Yeah, and that's right? the beautiful yeah. situation about it is that mm -hmm. they are both investors uh, in the initiatives that we do. And I guess you could say underwriters, uh, but also uh, they become customers. And that's really important. And as we talk about how we're thinking about launching pays and how we're going to be launching pays, there's a very relevant part about how, you know, our owners are also our customers. Uh, but I think, you know, if you if you think about uh, the journey, uh, you know, from a from a large bank perspective, you know, one of their core offerings uh, is, uh, you know, demand deposit accounts, checking accounts, uh, and then, you know, card products, right? You know, those are those are kind of core retail products. And I think the uh, the large FIs and, and you know and, and we actually don't just serve the owners we serve you know the whole industry, but all of them are looking to continue to drive relevance and value for their customers. You know, there's a fundamental kind of trade that happens around a checking account, which is uh, you know essentially consumers leave idle balances with the bank and the bank lends them out. That's kind of a core part of their balance sheet. And on the payment side, you know, there's you know one of the value propositions that uh, you know, that banks offer to consumers is better access to those funds, which is comes through a debit card. And then in the event that the consumer needs to borrow uh, because they don't have the cash on hand, obviously credit products. And these are core foundational. They're so they're just they're just they've been around for so long. People think that they have always been there and that they're all, you know, that they're just, you know, they are core elements of how consumers uh, participate in financial services. But I think over the last 10 years, obviously, there's been a number of people who've come in from outside the financial industry who have taken, you know, taken little pieces of that business and sometimes larger pieces. And I think really what, you know, what early warning exists to do is to help those all the financial institutions be more relevant for their consumers. And I think what drove pays in specific specifically was kind of two things. One is the long term trend of online payments, online shopping, online payments. You know, it used to be X percent, then it becomes two X, and it became three X. I mean, it's it's very material part of how consumers, you know, shop and pay these days. So that became more important to consumers. And then I think the second thing was, you know, the recognition that other people were out there offering experiences that, you know, delivered, you know, more value and more delight to the consumer, and that, you know, that's not something that, you know, the the financial institutions want to have happen, uh, you know, and and become and potentially get away from them. So I think Pays is really about driving that relevance of having one of those, you know, core payment products and and delivering a better experience in one of the most important use cases for consumers, which is online payments. That's right. And I think one of the things that's so interesting about early warning is with Zelle, um, you know, clearly you had a, you had a first mover, which was which was Venmo. 
um, was growing like a weed for a while. Zell didn't need to be first there. Um, Venmo kind of pr proved the model. Um, and there was industry chatter when you guys were launching about like, well, how are you going to compete against that? And, and what's really interesting, as you've watched the numbers over the past couple of years, like the, the, the growth curves have like inverted in the sense that Zell is, is growing much faster than Venmo now. And, and sure. yeah. what, what would you point that to? Is, is it that um, the end customer actually at the end of the day, do you believe wants to, to have these services offered by their bank? Versus yeah. a third party. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the easiest answer is the most. It's a pretty easy one, right? Yeah, Occam's but, razor, right? Yeah, no, exactly. You could come up with sixteen levels of complexity, or you could just say, you know, it's easier to get it from the bank. And you know, and there are some real advantages. You know, you think about it. If you're doing P2P transactions, your money starts at the bank, and you're sending it to somebody else whose money is who's going to put that money most likely into a bank account, and so. Why do we kind of do a big round loop, you know, loop, you know, a loop around, you know, Zelle really just connects those two bank accounts uh, and provides the directory and the kind of fraud tools and everything to make it, you know, safe and secure. And it just, I think it's just intuitive to consumers that if they're going to push money from their bank account to somebody else's bank account, why wouldn't you go to the bank to start that transaction? And why wouldn't it end up at the consumer's, other consumer's bank account and the notification comes from their bank? And so obviously, you know, what we needed to build with Zelle and, you know, it wasn't me, it was the rest of, you know, the team that built Zelle did a fantastic job, you know, was building that coverage network of, you know, many thousands of financial institutions. And, but we're, you know, we're in, with Pays, we're, we're emulating aspects of, of that success model. So although we're starting with, you know, the owner banks are our first uh, customers, uh, we're actually going to start with another 1,100 financial institutions who come to us through a distribution relationship that one of those owners has. And we are in advanced discussions with many non-owners about participating in pays. So we, although we are, you know, owned by seven, we exist to serve the whole financial, inst all financial institutions, uh, banks, credit unions from the smallest to the largest. So that gives us that opportunity to have that ubiquity. And so our, our mission on pays is to be ubiquitous, both on the consumer side and, and where that translates means that any consumer that has a card, debit or credit issued by a US-based financial institution should be able to use it through pays. And any merchant that accepts those products should be able to accept them through pays. And so that's kind of our, our mission. That's our, that's our mandate. And we take that very seriously and we build all the technology, uh, we also build all the economics and all the constructs around delivering on that that position, you know, that that vision of ubiquity. So, can um, in addition to ubiquity, can we talk a little bit about the product itself? Maybe talk about the sure, yeah, the so, widget, so a couple the of, widget, yeah, the, yeah. the widget itself, yes, yeah. the widget known as Pace. Yeah, so I think you know, there's a couple of things that we we set out to achieve. Uh, you know, we recognize that we are not the first entrant. To your point, you know, the same way Zelle wasn't the first entrance in P2P. And so we we did we looked at all the kind of pain points on the customer journey of existing services and worked through saying how could we eliminate those pain points. And so one of the very first pain points of you know existing players is that consumers actually have to go do something to create you know the experience, create the wallet. And we felt like why would we why do we need to make consumers do that? We can do that for them. And so because part you of what, on the bank account itself already. Right. So we, you know, through the through the through relationships we have with the, the participating FIs, they have access to all the information about the consumer. They have access to the account information. 
And so uh, what we're building, uh, we actually build a wallet for the consumer and it's a multi-FI wallet. So multiple financial institutions that are participating, they go through and they choose the eligible cards. We have a set of eligibility criteria. And that elig those eligibility criteria are all about delivering to the consumer the most relevant proposition that we can. So we say, look, we, we, we want as many cards as possible, but what we, excuse me, what we really want is the cards that people use to shop online with today. So if somebody has a card that they got four years ago and stuck at the back of their sock drawer and never use anymore, they've evidenced that it's not valuable to them. So we're not going to surf. We're not even going to load that into pays, but the credit or debit card that they use uh, every day to shop online, that's what we want to load up and surface. So the first thing we do is we create the wallet for the consumer as opposed to making them create the wallet. The other thing we saw in terms of sort of friction and kind of pain points for the consumer was the need to have a new username and password many times. And consumers have enough, you know, we didn't want to put any more cognitive load on the consumers. So we uh, we decided that there would be no username, there'd be no password. Uh, so people identify their wallet with something that's known to them, uh, an email address, and then they authenticate uh, through their phone, which again, the bank knows their phone because you know that, that's part of their profile. So we don't have any more usernames, no more usernames, more passwords to remember. Uh, and then the last piece I think is always, you know, if, you, if a product comes from, you know, your financial institution, there's an expectation that it's safe and secure. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that we weren't just talking about safety and security, we were actually delivering on it. And so part of uh, one of our founding principles is that there are no real card numbers in pays. So all the cards that are loaded into pays are tokenized. So we take the network, we take a network token instead of the real card number. We actually get the real card number, we then tokenize it. And so there are no real card numbers in pays. So a consumer never needs to worry. They their actual card number on their plastic is not the number used. And then by using network tokens exclusively, it also gives us the ability to add a cryptogram at the point of transaction. So every payload is completely unique. So we've tokenized it, so it's not the card number that the consumer knows. And then we also overlay that with a cryptogram that's unique, that is only, you know, is then decrypted by the network. So, you know, we have a, a layers and layers of security to basically deliver, you know, a, a, the, the most secure experience we can come up with at scale uh, and, you know, deliver peace of mind to the consumer uh, but also deliver convenience. So we didn't. We wanted to make it as easy as possible, and you, and the consumer. We create the wallet for the consumer, as I mentioned, uh, the pays wallet, uh, and then the the consumer claims it. And the easiest way to claim it is from one of their participating financial institutions. So if they have, you know, they're going to be messaged in when they're online uh, on the mobile banking, when they're in online banking, and they um because they're authenticated in at that point in time. Essentially, the, the bank can send them to us and attest that it is the real consumer. They go through, they accept terms and conditions, and then they have their pays wallet activated with all the relevant cards for them for e-commerce. So that's the widget. Before we continue, I wanted to draw your attention to I2C's recent research on how younger consumers make credit decisions. You know, tracking Gen Z and how financial institutions will need to evolve to serve them has been a major theme for us here at Tearsheet over the past year. And this report is important if you're offering 
or thinking about offering any credit products like credit cards or BNPL to younger customers. What was interesting to me in this report is Gen Z's response to incentives, how rewards drive their usage of credit cards and how it's different than generations before them. Also, figuring out how younger customers use revolving credit with a mix of BNPL is essential for serving them in the future, particularly in an environment of tight credit. With I2C's best-in-class credit, debit, prepaid, and core banking solutions, I2C is helping FIs and fintechs effectively serve the needs of younger consumers and not just talk about it. It's an important report. Download the report at tearsheet.co slash I2C. I know it's early. You, you launched this year. I'm, I'm kind of curious, how's it gone so far? Um, what are you seeing? In particular, yeah. are, are these... Are, are the first users, um, I guess, um, converts of other uh, digital wallets, or are these first-time digital wallet users? I, I'm curious what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, well, so we really we really launched next year, Zach. So we, we're not we've done a couple of deployments. We're talking in the future, yeah, yeah, it's a future. So the question is maybe reframe it as where do we think people what are going to come from? Yeah, Share your expectations. Yeah, so we've done a you know we've done some consumer research as you'd imagine, we're, and figuring out where people are going to come from. Uh, I think we see that there are there are some don't use wallet people, uh, and obviously those are you know strong targets for us. And there's a number of those out there. I, what we see is is there's people who are kind of weakly affiliated to something. They use something, but when you ask them why they use it, they don't really have great answers, and they don't seem to exhibit a lot of passion. So we think that you know that's really I think where the opportunity for pays is really strong because. Uh, the other third part of that, you know, the, the the other thing we hear from consumers when we do research, primary research, is that they do value the relationship that they have with their financial institution, and they do listen to what the financial institution says about better ways to pay and you know take take care of your financial affairs. And so I think if you take the combination of you know people who have aren't using any of the competing products, people who are using but maybe with weak affiliation. And the ability to distribute and and you know deliver that message from a trusted financial institution, we think it's a pretty compelling combination of, of facts. And you know, there's some great companies that are in the space already. You know, very similar to there were great companies in the space in P2P. We're happy to compete with them, and we'll you know we'll ho- hopefully we bring something new, a little different uh, to the table, and uh, find out find our place in the market. I, I want to ask you a question, I guess, and you may, not, may or may not have the answer to this, but how much of, of, of your partner banks, your, your clients in, in general, how much are they thinking about this work with pays as, as defensive and how much of it is offensive? And I know that's a binary construct, but like... Yeah, it, so, yeah. so look, I think, I think they view it as uh, delivering value to their core customer base. So now, I mean, in any construct, in any business situation, it's it's always simultaneously offense and defense, right? You're right. trying to deliver more value, so you keep your best customers, and you also want to protect those customers from people attacking you. So I think the framework that you know we talk about with them and they tell us is really how do we deliver more relevance? I mean, look, clearly they're they're extremely relevant already. If you think about like you know the the I always say that. You know, there's, there's oftentimes in the industry, you know, surveys that say people don't trust their bank and things like that. And I always say that's completely bogus. People trust their bank and the evidence is that 
they send their paycheck there every two weeks. Like it's self-evident that they trust the bank. But trust is great, but you need relevance as well. And you need to be delivering value and products that make your consumers' lives better. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's kind of business 101. And I think and, and these bank know, their bank cards are being used in the other wallets as well. Exactly. Right? So, and yeah. I, and I think and I think it's really about how do we, you know, continue to reinforce the value of having those relationships with the financial institutions. And then also maybe how do we create a platform for the future and for future innovation? You know, we're starting where we start, but once you have a place in the market, you have the op- you have optionality about where you take it. And I think that's important. We haven't decided, you know, we've got to get live, we've got to get scale. We've got to delight customers around the first, you know, use cases. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear as you go around the whole economy, you know, the the things are going digital in ev- in every domain, and payments certainly no exception because essentially it's ones and zeros. Uh, how do you say, stay relevant in that experience? You've got to have good digital tools. You've got to have good digital experiences. And I think what's novel about and look and and. The financial institutions have great digital experiences when you're interacting directly with that financial institution, right? So the mobile banking apps are fantastic. They have not hitherto played, up with the exception of Zelle, they haven't played much of a role in payments. It has really been, it hasn't been part of it. And, and fundamentally, that's because in the use case of a payment, you've got a counterparty uh, who's not who's not a bank. It's a merchant. And that whole connect, and so really, you can think of pays as the bridge between sort of the banking world and the merchant world. And there have been attempts to go all the way from the banking world and the online digital banking experience all the way to the merchant world. But um, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, the way the market is structured, even largest banks are really not big enough to land that uh, that story. That just doesn't land in the merchant world because the merchants are saying, yeah. You have a very big bank and we have lots of you have lots of customers, but I have lots of customers who don't bank with you. And what's you know, how does that work? And so pays, you know, and that's where, you know, I mentioned before ubiquity. You know, we take that very seriously because it's super valuable uh, for the merchant. Right. The idea that all of your customers uh, who shop with you uh, are eligible to have a pays wallet. Uh, that immediately, you know, is is compelling, right? Because that says, oh, okay, I don't have to worry about a tap, you know, I have to worry about usage, but the idea that anybody who's a customer can can use this wallet to make their life better, that's 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 a check mark, you know. And we're not we're not making you choose twenty percent and not choose the other eighty. Everybody can participate. And on the the merchant side, um, how much work needs to be done there? Well, we've started, so we're doing. We've done great work already. You really started, have to balance both. It's a marketplace in a way, right? You yeah, got to manage. Two-sided market, you know, yeah. the joys of a two-sided market in payments. I, I spent a number, demand. I spent a number of years at a large payment network, so uh, you know, so one, you know of my, one of my jokes was that uh, after a year in the payment net business or payment network business, uh, the one thing you realize is you're always behind. It's just a question of which side you're behind on. <laughs> you can be behind on the consumers. It's a seesaw, on right. But you're always behind. You just have to get used to being you're late on one front. But look, so so we spent a lot of time and we've had a lot of uh, great partnerships with uh, some of our owner institutions who have large merchant-facing businesses. So we've been working with them to bring some of their merchants to pays and we've been successful there. So we've made a couple of announcements and we've got more to come. Um, it's going good. I mean, it's going good. It's, it's always... 
you know, it's a, the merchants obviously are looking for, you know, they, they're good at doing payments. Uh, they're good at, you know, they, they know how to, you know, deliver experiences. But one of the things that but we, we came to the market with was a recognition that, you know, if you're su- selling successfully online in 2023, then you know a lot about your consumers. You know a lot about how they, you know, shop and pay. So we were we came in with a position where we were deliberately not prescriptive. We weren't telling them, "Hey, this is the flow you have to do." Uh, we came in saying, "Hey, we've got you know this very large customer base that's going to be loaded into into pays, uh, and we've got four or five different ways that you can be ac- you can get access to that base, depending on your business model, depending on how you sell." And let's work together to figure out what's the best way. So for some merchants, you know, it is the classic guest checkout replacement. And we embrace that. We love that. Particularly smaller merchants where a card on file is not going to happen for them. Those are great examples of where we can just increase the classic e-com conversion rates and, you know, make, make help them make more money, which is fantastic. When you get to the high, larger merchants, you know, a lot of them really don't. I mean, a lot of them don't even often guest guest checkout anymore it's just not a right. thing they do because they need to they want they've either they need, need all your data yeah. they need or they want to have a direct relationship because they they want to do marketing or whatever purpose so we allow the data that's uh, in pays to be used with consumer permission to create an account in merchant land uh we give the token uh, the network token for the first transaction but we also support them uh if they want to swap that token that network token out for their own token uh, uh to use for subsequent transactions. So that's very appealing for large merchants who are building, you know, want to build their customer base. We also have use cases where, uh, you know, very large customers, very large merchants, because they have so many tens or hundreds of millions of consumers, one of the problems they have is that every month a certain number just fall off. You know, cards expire, cards get canceled, things happen. And for them, they're constantly trying to, you know, renew and get that recurring mm-hmm. revenue. And so we have a bespoke, uh, we have a, we've built what we call a back to good flow, where if a con- if a merchant knows the consumer's email, they can ping the pays directory in the background. If they find a wallet there, they can actually create a bespoke flow that says, "Hey, Mr. Miller, your card has expired." We see. We know you've got a, a a wallet, a pays wallet. Click here to use your pays wallet to load a new card. So oh, nice. again, so we're particularly so, on subscriptions, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's an increasingly popular use case for e for remote payments and e-commerce. So I think the broader point is that we showed up in front of the merchants with I think what we've heard is a refreshing point of view, which is, yeah, we've got a set of assets and we think we can help. And let's sit down and roll up our sleeves and work together to figure out exactly how we can help and where we can help. Uh, and so we've had some very fruitful conversations with some of those larger merchants about different problems, and that's driven some of our product development activity as well. Um, and and so I think that's you know the merchant side of this equation is is always you know it's it's the hardest because it's uh, you know it's it's very big and there's a lot of heterogeneity from the largest, largest merchants to the smallest merchants, all of whom, you know, use cards to effect payments. Uh, and so we're showing up with a, a range of options and it seems to be, you know, it's been well received by the merchant community. We're also signing up uh, the distribution because because when, yeah, your, objective is, yeah, when yeah. your objective is ubiquity, we're not going to build a team that's going to go sell to 3 million merchants direct, you know, uh, don't think there's a budget for that. 
So uh, we're leveraging uh, all the all the people who sell merchant processing today. So that's obviously acquirers, that's PSPs, that's Payfax. They're all able to be what we call distributors of pays. Uh, and they're able to go sell it. They're able to bundle it into their merchant processing offers, uh, offerings, uh, and that's fantastic. What we've also seen, which is pretty interesting, because e-com obviously has become very complicated and sophisticated, is any one specific merchant deployment might have three or four vendors who sort of touch data and do different things in the flow, but they're not the person who sells merchant processing. And so we also created a, a distribution structure, which we call technical integrators, which is entities that you know offer a piece of a solution, they can pre-integrate pays, they can make it part of their offering, uh, and then that makes it easier, obviously, for the merchant to implement and easier for the merchant to um, you know to accept. And we're seeing, I mean, the place we're seeing a lot of demand and a lot of interest is really in those entities who serve the long-tail merchants. So we have a we announced that GoDaddy is impl- has implemented pays mm-hmm. and it's live. And, you know, they serve tens of thousands of merchants, all small. And those are the people who, you know, that's the classic kind of guest checkout replacement, right? So somebody sees either a local business or an online business, maybe comes out of social media, clicks through, and they want to buy something. They've never shopped there before. You know, it's an, it's not the, the customer delight typically stops when they see 17 white boxes that they have to type into and a bunch of people click away. That's an ideal use case for pays for those long tail merchants. Those are you know, click a click a button, authenticate, and all the data is there. Uh, that's very easy ROI, and so we're seeing a lot of interest from those long tail uh, people who sell sell to and service and support smaller merchants. That's that's a very you know very fertile ground right now. In the remaining time we have, James, um, can we go back to the FIs? So this is a 2024 story, you know. Um, yep. Can we talk about what the rollout looks like, um, some of the feedback, or maybe some of the hurdles you might have to get over to get to get as as you get more and more FIs? I'm, how, how do you build that momentum on that side? Well, so the great thing, Zach, is that we start with you know the seven owners, and also I mentioned there's another 1,100 FIs, smaller FIs who are coming along through one of those owner relationships. So we start with a huge advantage. I mean, it's you know I I, I kind of joke that I showed up on day one and I had seven of the largest banks as my customers and I'd never even made a sales call. So, you know, that's a huge, huge sure. asset that we have. And we think that with that, you know, we have already kind of critical mass to, to launch on the, you know, it's going to be north of 150 million e-com active cards that we load wow. on day one. So that's a massive base. But we're also uh, in very advanced discussions with non-owners. Because those non-owners, if you kind of zoom out to the problem statement we talked about, which is relevance for the consumer, they they just happen not to be owners of early warning, but they have the same aspiration and the same desire to continue to enhance the relevance of their offerings to those cons- to their consumer bases. So we've got non-owners very close. Announcements expected soon. Uh, and so I think you know, given the starting point on that side, I think we're in great shape in terms of the. Uh, world of FIs. Uh, we're building out the merchant footprint quickly. We'll never be done with that. And we recognize that that will be an ongoing, it'll be an evergreen task. Uh, but I think we've got, you know, we feel good about the base that we're going to start with. And we've got strong pipeline of people who are saying, yeah, I get it. You know, maybe I'm too busy right now, or maybe I want to see it live and make sure you follow through, but come back to us. So there's people with, you know, the pipeline is strong. 
And we're particularly excited also to sign up uh, what we call resellers who can bring us uh, access to long tail FIs, smaller FIs, uh, you know, on a mass. And we're expecting like banking software providers, those types of guys. Yeah, so for people yeah. who provide, you know, the software and the or, services that you know smaller banks rely on to to deliver services to their consumers. So we're expecting you know there'll be some announcements soon on that front. So I think you know it's uh, we're building out all the pieces of the puzzle. Uh, we're also, you know, we've chose the brand. We didn't have a brand until we had a brand and we've got pays. We love the brand. It's, uh, resonates very well with the consumer. I love the Z in both your products. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know there was a, as a Zach, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, I was going to say, that. yeah, you, yeah. You, you feel right at home, right? Uh, so, so I think, uh, you know, we've got the brand and we're working on the marketing campaign. So there'll be marketing that is delivered, you know, brand awareness marketing that comes from early warning around the brand and the product and promise uh then there'll also be a lot of uh in-channel in-bank you know from the from the fis participating fis will also be promoting it so yeah there's a you know we're we're working busily away but i think we're moving we're definitely moving the ball down the field on all fronts and we're excited to uh to get live and uh, get into the market and start serving consumers and merchants well, good luck in 2024. I'd love to, you know, touch base with you as the year goes on to hear how things are going. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today, James. I'd be delighted to come back, Zach. Appreciate your opportunity. Bye for now.